You are listening to Go Full Crypto. I'm your host, Rogopshi Palway. This podcast is your best resource for crypto stories in the form of discussions and interviews. We uncomplexify tech jargon and we like to keep it simple. My co-host, Keegan Francis and I, we're here to empower you with the knowledge you need to confidently navigate your way into the world of crypto. Join us as we embark on the journey of driving the adoption of cryptocurrency. Join us in going full crypto. The thoughts and opinions expressed by Keegan Francis, Murgakshi Palway, and the guests interviewed on the Go Full Crypto podcast are solely their own. At no point in time should the topics of discussion be construed or taken as investment advice. Keegan Francis, Murgakshi Palway, and their guests on this podcast will not be held accountable for any losses. The content discussed on the Go Full Crypto podcast are intended to be for informational purposes only. Hey, Billy. Welcome to our podcast and our apartment. Really glad to have you here. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. So let's really get right into the first question, which we love to ask all of the people we interview. And that is, what's your crypto story? My crypto story. Um, let's see. I first uh, first kind of heard of Bitcoin like 2009-ish and I had actually like downloaded the Bitcoin software and tried like setting it up and stuff. And it was basically uh, at a time where I wasn't very like technically savvy. And uh, basically I, I went at it for about an hour and realized it was kind of beyond my skill level. And so I was just like said to my friend, like, yeah, sorry, this is too complicated for me. I don't have time to, to learn. This is a voice to my time. I did that in 2012. 2009 though. That's... It was either nine or 10. Yeah. Okay. Like early, early days. Like, it was, I don't even know. Even if I, you got that software up and running for like an hour, <laughs> you, this, this conversation might not be happening yeah. at all. You'd be in a different position. I, uh, I, I don't even know if there was a dollar value of Bitcoin at the time. Right. Like it was early. Um, like it was before Silk Road and Mt. Gox and all that stuff. Um, it was early, early, early. And, but that was part of why I had no motiva- motivation to keep trying, right? Because there was no monetary incentive. Um, and then, like every couple of years after that, I would hear about it in the news, um, or like friends would mention it. And what, what did you hear in the news? Like bad things, or honestly, I don't remember uh, too much detail because it was like 2011, 2013. Um, definitely some some bad stuff, like around Silk Road and stuff yeah. uh, with the the you know dark drug market or whatever. Um, but there was also some like when. Bitcoin would make like an all-time high or whatever. Uh, it would come up in some of the some of the media there as well, just saying like, "Oh, it's it's not dead yet, and it's it's, it's <laughs> worth a lot of money now." Um, so, because even when when Bitcoin became worth a hundred dollars, it was like no one thought that would happen, and anyone who had bought it at a dollar, like you know, hundred times their money. So um, there was there's been lots of opportunity for media to to write about the good and the bad. Um, and then fast forward to 2017, I graduated college and um, I basically started earning my paycheck and decided I wanted to do some research, figure out, like, take some percentage of that paycheck and put it into savings. Um, Sounds responsible. Yeah, and, and it was a responsible decision. So, uh, so responsible that I ended up putting it on Bitcoin. <laughs> Maximum responsibility. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, anyway... Uh, I kind of thought to myself, like, this was before the 2017 bull run where it went up to 20,000 US. 
Um, so I was kind of lucky. I just thought to myself, like once I started earning salary, I was like, I wonder if that Bitcoin thing is still around. And, <laughs> and remember this one, I didn't know anything about Bitcoin. I was just like, I wonder if that Bitcoin thing is still around. And uh, so I started reading into it and then saw that it was and saw that it was actually doing really well. It was like 2000 US at the time. And then I Googled, uh, what is the next Bitcoin? And I wasn't looking for like a cryptocurrency. I was looking for like, what is the next, you know, industry that is, or, or you know, idea, innovation, whatever. Like, what's the next thing that's going to take off that you can get in early? And Ethereum came up. So I looked into that and thought, oh yeah, this is interesting and promising. So I, I bought a little Ethereum, bought a little Bitcoin. And then like, that was early June of 2017. And then in months after that, like it just went crazy. And like every month my money was like doubling <laughs> and, uh, which is like, that is great marketing for Bitcoin, right? Yeah. Like if, if the, the price keeps doubling, like anyone who, who owns a little bit is like going to start paying more attention to that. So I've had two, like two, two periods of my life. There've been people ask me about Bitcoin and that's December, 2017 and now basically okay. and it's you know it's when the price is going up it's when people are uncertain about their money and, and that's just naturally how it goes when like you said it's really great marketing when the price is doing well but the story is a lot deeper than that yeah yeah for sure um and and yeah so like uh after the you know probably like i spent a couple of months doing like the uh altcoin trading and stuff like that and just like like I was saying earlier, um, I, when I get into something, I tend to like go head first into it and focus a lot of my attention on that thing. So I was like deep into that stuff for a couple of months. And then I kind of started to realize like a lot of these altcoins were, you know, they were fun and intriguing, but they weren't serving the same purpose that Bitcoin was. So I was kind of lucky in the sense that I like formed this thesis around Bitcoin being the store of value and like the other cryptocurrencies being more of like something that you might be interested in, but might not be the best investment. So I, I kind of switched everything into Bitcoin and, uh, and my focus onto Bitcoin. And that was like kind of late 2017. Um, so by the time it, it reached its peak and all my friends were starting to ask me about it, I was already kind of out of the, the cryptocurrency phase and into just focusing on Bitcoin. So um, wasn't able to like give them too much advice on that stuff. But like I say, I, I was lucky in that, um, you know, when everything crashed by 95%, my Bitcoin only crashed by like 75%. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And then, I mean, now it's been almost three years that I've just been focused on Bitcoin and, uh, and it's almost completely recovered from that 75%. Yeah. Yeah. Most of it at least. Yeah. And the fact that I like, I, uh, you know, I, I still had student loans from school and stuff, so I haven't been able to like put a huge amount of money into Bitcoin, unfortunately. But the fact that I bought in before that big bull run, right, it was $2,000 a coin. Um, so like I am also lucky in the sense that I was able to get it at a low price so that uh, even when it went up to $20,000 a coin, I, you know, I wasn't actually buying at that $20,000 a coin. So I don't know what my actual like average cost would be, but I haven't lost 75% of my value. Like right. you still have the same amount of Bitcoin. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like my average cost is well below 
what it is today. Right. So. So when you bought Bitcoin in June of 2017, had you decided that you were going to sell at a certain point? Um, that's a good question. I think as I was learning about Bitcoin and kind of like trying to come up with like a portfolio strategy or whatever you want to call it, I started thinking of things like that. Like, okay, well, if it goes to this price point, I might sell 30% and get my money back or whatever. Um, Did you stick to that strategy? Not really. And yeah. and I, I, I agree with myself not sticking to it because yeah. I made the strategy from a very uninformed perspective, right. you know, like less than a month into the, into Bitcoin, I was making the strategy when really I had no idea what I was doing or, or talking about. So the more I learned, the more I, I realized, like, for example, it's a long-term play. It's not a day trading type opportunity or, uh, or whatever. Um, so like I did sell some near the top of 2017, like when it went up really high and like, I did get back my initial investment, which is nice. So like all of the money I have in Bitcoin right now is, is just gains. Like I, um, so in that sense, my cost is almost zero. Um, and then, yeah, like I, I've kind of toyed around through the price point of like 90,000 US because like the $100,000 price will be a big psychological barrier. So like once it gets around there, it might trigger people to start selling. So I was thinking like 90,000, get out before everyone else does. But the more I learn, the more it's like, well, 90,000, I mean, you know, <laughs> that only puts <laughs> total value of all Bitcoins at like, whatever you know six trillion two, two, or something like that two trillion i think something like okay that. sure yeah um, i don't know <laughs> uh yeah like two trillion dollars so it's like that's a lot of money but you look at like gold has a market cap of like eight trillion dollars real estate i don't know a hundred trillion dollars stocks and bonds same thing like so when you think about like bitcoin's scarcity and like its ability to be a store of value um and like it's it's difficulty or the impossibility of inflating it. Whereas like with gold, you know, they're mining more every year. Stocks are kind of a joke at this point. And like real estate is the only other one where I think like if you're in the right real estate market, you can get some good value for your dollar. But, uh, but yeah, so like Bitcoin being limited to $2 trillion just almost, it's like if it succeeds and gains, you know, more, more usage, that's a fairly conservative estimate. So now I'm at the point where it's like, oh, but it's 90,000. I don't know what I'm going to do because I don't know. Like, what do you do? You sell your, your Bitcoin for $90,000 and then you get it into Canadian dollars or U.S. dollars just for it to be inflated away. Like it's uh, it's my mindset has definitely changed from it being like an investment to make gains to like using Bitcoin for savings. Um, so in that sense, I don't know, like. I would say I don't have a point where I'd sell it right now. Like if it went up to $90,000 tomorrow, would I sell? Probably because something goes up that fast. It's probably going to correct a bit, but, um, but yeah, overall, like it's, it's really changed to being this, like almost a retirement savings. Like it's something that it might fail, but if it doesn't fail, then it's almost certainly going to be a good retirement savings. An amazing so. retirement savings. Not yeah. even a good one. Yeah. An amazing one. Exactly. And like, I get a lot of comfort knowing that with all the chaos that's going on in the world, you know, every other market is being like, it's, it's chaotic, right? It's messed up with Bitcoin. It's, it's so 
predictable and understandable and they can't mess with the money. Which like, is actually counter to the narrative that the media would portray as well. Because the media really likes to tell people that it's such a volatile market, but the volatility is going down over time. And yeah. it, like you said, it's actually very predictable. It's actually doing exactly what the analysts say it's doing, almost yeah. to the T, which is very nice in, in the world <laughs> of chaos that we live in right now. Yeah. You said a couple of very interesting things there, and I'm going to recollect them and like ask you questions on them one by one because they were very fascinating. So you talked about how at some, some point you looked at all other cryptocurrencies and decided that you wanted to stick with Bitcoin. And the way that you said that, it made me question, what is your definition of a cryptocurrency? So uh, I don't have a hard definition, but um, basically a... Uh, an asset that is uh, like tracked by a blockchain um, or so I guess one definition of it would be an asset that's tracked by a blockchain that um, uses like digital signatures for the asset transfer, um, I guess, essentially things that are, are trying to mimic Bitcoin. Um, and I, I think nowadays there's other cryptocurrencies that are not based on blockchains, but based on like other data storage structures, uh, different types of ledgers or whatever. Um, but yeah, just basically like a digital asset that's trying to be decentralized. Um, trying to be yeah, decentralized. Yeah, trying. Yeah. <laughs> Can we bold that? Like, trying to be decentralized. Um, I like that. And this is also why like I, I really group Bitcoin in, in one category by itself and yes. every other cryptocurrency in, in another category because all like, coins that is yeah i mean that's yeah. kind of the proper the way definition. to conceptualize yeah those two things there's bitcoin and then there's everything else yeah and like some cryptocurrencies like most are garbage um <laughs> that's just true yeah you know they might be aspiring to be great but they're not great right now like they're garbage and have a long ways to go to to, to be great to be great to become what they're trying to be well greatness what is the definition of greatness though so like in the context are of they, crypto are you comparing it to bitcoin in terms of achieving that greatness because that's like comparing apples to oranges uh i guess it's like opinion. i'm defining greatness as so these these a lot of these uh these decentralized altcoins um the the ceo of the decentralized altcoin comes out and puts out a white paper saying this is what we're going to achieve this is why we're going to be a better money than Bitcoin or a better system for this or that. Um, they put up some huge goals and promises that are almost impossible to achieve. So like achieving those, those goals would be kind of greatness. Like, right. you know, there, there's talks of blockchain fixing the uh, like, like food supply chains, um, fixing different types of fraud and uh, like human rights issues and stuff like that. And you know what, if these blockchains or cryptocurrencies can actually do that, if they can prevent the human trafficking or slave trade or whatever, hats off to them, right? That would be great. And they say they can do it. I don't think they will. Um, but if, if they could get to that point, then I would, I would applaud them and say like, great job. Right. <laughs> You okay. kind of breezed over one aspect of, of uh, the decentralization factor. You said if the CEO of this, this <laughs> cryptocurrency comes out and says something and uh, like breezing over the fact that having a CEO of a cryptocurrency is uh, not very, not a very decentralized approach. And where like Bitcoin doesn't have a CEO, there's no 
president of uh, Bitcoin, right. right? It's just that is it is just what it is at that's at this point. It is completely decentralized, or the most decentralized. Yeah, thing out there. Yeah, and it's like there are some centralizing factors in Bitcoin, like the development. It's, it's such a hard thing to actually program for Bitcoin that like it's only a limited number of people who actually are building Bitcoin. Um, some of the bag holders of the wallet holders <laughs> as well is some aspects of centralization, but that goes down over time as more and more people enter the system and get a hold of it themselves. Yeah, and like you know, it's it's centralized in the sense that like these you know people who own a lot of Bitcoin can like threaten to sell it all and drive down the price. But like, that doesn't mean that they can use it to course the direction of the Bitcoin protocol. Right. right. It's uh, so like you could make an argument that maybe the developers influence that. Um, and there's counter arguments, but, um, but yeah, so like the kind of distribution of the Bitcoins, um, the developers and then the miners have been traditionally centralized in China. Although, you're seeing a bit of an exodus out of China and into places like U.S., Canada, um, I Europe, think Europe, like places where, uh, yeah, places that aren't China. <laughs> and the Chinese government aren't being super friendly to miners either. So that's kind of working in, in the world's favor because like for a while there, um, you know, I think there was something like 90 percent of the hash or 80 percent of the hash rate was controlled by Chinese miners. So like. That's definitely. a vulnerability. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there's definitely, uh, it's gotten a lot better since then. And, uh, and there's also work on the protocol being done that makes it so that even if you had all of your mining going through, you know, mining pools in China, um, there's only so much damage that they could do at that point. Um, so those types of improvements, you know, help to kind of protect against that type of centralization. But over Bitcoin's, what is it, 11 year history? Um, it's been consistently trending away from centralization. Um, and I think a lot of these other cryptocurrencies, what they try to do is mimic that and put it like a decentralization roadmap saying like, okay, yeah, we're centralized today, but we plan on being decentralized tomorrow. tomorrow. Yeah. And like, uh, yeah, it's yeah, like even Ethereum, which is like the second biggest cryptocurrency, um, many would argue that it is decentralized there are so many different people working on it and stuff but like you've got things like the ethereum foundation and consensus which like and and you know vitalik buterin the one of the founders like a figurehead of sorts yeah, yeah and and even though it's like more decentralized than a lot of cryptocurrencies if you only have like three bodies that are kind of governing this system um it's still pretty centralized like it's a spectrum right and and yeah even Ethereum, which is like number two, is quite far towards the centralized end of the spectrum. Um, right. So a core property of any cryptocurrency is supposed to be decentralization, in your opinion. Um, in order for like what I find value in, in, in a cryptocurrency is the ability to so like Bitcoin was created to be this censorship resistant payment system, right? To be able to send money from one person to another without needing to go through an intermediary um, and, and to be able to do it in a way that like no bank, no government can can stop that payment. Right? That's like the, the core principle. That's why Bitcoin was founded. And yeah, it's evolved into this uh, like this narrative around being digital gold and stuff. And that's also an important use case. But like really it comes down to it was designed for censorship resistant payments and 
if you have a centralized person or a group of people running a cryptocurrency, um, they can censor payments, right? They can, um, you, you see it with a lot of these Ethereum projects where they've got these like backdoor things put into the code where it's like an admin key or whatever they call it, where it's like, if they want, they can like blacklist certain addresses if the US government tells them to, right? Like that's not a censorship resistant, trustless payment. So that's a big part of why it's like, I, I, I was learning about these other coins and I was like, none of them are really censorship resistant. Whereas like Bitcoin, you, it is censorship resistant today. And like, it would be, yeah, it's possible that like the, the U S government could like team up with China and Russia and like start an all war to try to centralize Bitcoin. And they could succeed if they all work together and put all the resources at it. But like, you got to remember that there's a lot of Bitcoiners at different levels of government and, you know, a lot of the citizens and stuff like that. So if the government's wasting the, the taxpayers' resources on something as, as futile as that, like... Not to mention that you just proposed a scenario where United States, <laughs> China, and Russian, Russia works together. That uh, yeah. We can talk about impossibilities uh, <laughs> another time, I think. Yeah, so, yeah... It, even Bitcoin isn't perfectly decentralized, but it's censorship resistant. And, you know, if you are, if you're well enough informed and you know what you're doing, you can send a payment from anywhere on earth to anywhere else on earth um, without trusting anyone, without relying on anyone, no help needed. The system, the protocol does the rest for you, right? You broadcast this message out to the internet and the protocol goes, sends it out to all the miners. And even if China, Russia, and the U.S. were working together to say, okay, we're not going to process these transactions, some little miner down in Venezuela is going, oh, well, I'll take that. You're paying a high high fee. I'll take that from, from you, right? So, you know, it, they could make it inconvenient, but at the end of the day, like, it's the only one that's actually trustless and decentralized and censorship resistant. So these kind of sound like buzzwords, but, like, if you think about what each of those words actually means, you know, they're super, super important for something like Bitcoin. Each one of them is a podcast in itself. Yes. No, but <laughs> well, like one thing that you said was also that stocks are useless at this point. <laughs> and it brings me to um, bring what you're saying about censorship resistance and decentralization both into attention. Because yes, those are two of the properties that are very dominant in Bitcoin. And if you want to call something a cryptocurrency, I can see how those two properties should be very evident in that particular cryptocurrency. But coming to where you said that stocks are useless at this point, well, they're not censorship <laughs> resistant, uh, as we have seen in, this, in the past six months, and they're definitely not decentralized. Uh, what, are some of the, what are some more reasons that you find that stocks are useless at this point? So I might have been a little harsh saying they were useless. <laughs> um, but as like a store of value, you know, like... Yeah, the stock market keeps going up, but that's, you know, that's not because the value of all these things are going up. Like some of them do go up, like their actual value that they provide. But a lot of it is just like governments printing money and banks loaning money to these companies and companies buying their own stocks and driving the prices higher and higher. And it just doesn't feel sustainable. It feels like a bubble, um, you know, like even this time, what, last year, Apple's market cap was probably a trillion dollars. Now it's $2 trillion. Like it feels like it just made news. Like, wow, a publicly traded company finally broke $1 trillion. And now all of a sudden they're up around $2 trillion. Which is and, and, 
Which is a lot. Like going from one to two, yeah. Yeah. just number one to number two doesn't feel like a lot, but going from one trillion to two trillion yeah. is a lot. And like, has Apple's actual value gone up that much in the last year? No, right? It's the, yeah. the value of the dollars that you're measuring it in is they're going down. And when you really stop to think about like, where can I put my money as like an investment or as savings, you know, to store my, my wealth, it's, you've got stocks, you've got government bonds, which, you know, it's, it's, you can get like 1% on your bonds. If you want to, if you want to lend them money for 30 years or something like that, it's, <laughs> it's not great. Um, the stocks, uh, it's, it feels very bubbly and, um, and even if you get really good gains against the U S dollar in your stocks, that doesn't mean you're actually, you know, it doesn't mean your value is actually increasing, uh, real estate, you know, especially commercial real estate, which is like a traditional investment. That's super, uh, bubbly. Um, maybe like residential real estate is, is good, but like you need to take out a mortgage for hundreds of thousands of dollars to be able to buy a, a house. It's not like you can just start you know, buying with your paycheck every week. So um, in terms of things that you can actually start storing, like for a regular person to start storing some of your paycheck in, um, gold and silver, I guess, would be another popular option for people from like, you know, the same mindset. But even those things are, are limited upside, I guess. Unless um, you're like actually going out and purchasing physical gold. That's that's, that's one of the problems that I have with like purchasing gold on the on the stock market, on the commodities market. It's like I'm still holding that number uh, on some sort of centralized system. And it doesn't actually mean that I own a chunk of gold or like an ounce of gold. Like, yes, in theory, it means that. But like, it's, unless I'm like actually yeah. holding that gold, I'm pretty uncomfortable with with that notion. Yeah, I agree. Um, and it's and, uh, like paper gold is like. I don't even when I, when I say buy the gold and silver, I don't mean that because I don't even consider that buying gold and silver. Right. Right. You're buying an IOU. Um, and like, if you look at history, the history of IOUs, especially like these big corporations or government IOUs, like it's very easy for the government to come up and say, oh yeah, we're at war. The IOU doesn't count anymore. Like we get to keep your money and fund war. Um, same thing with money printing. Right. And this is part of why, like, so like in. Wait, hang on. So just for our listeners, no, no, no. But for our listeners and uh, viewers that are watching just what an IOU is literally as it sounds, I owe you the amount of $1, for example, which is the case uh, because it isn't backed by anything. The government is basically saying, I'm owing you $1. And Billy, you were talking about, um, can you elaborate a little bit more on the IOU aspect of what you just talked about? Sure, yeah. So like, it, it, that's a whole other rabbit hole separate from the Bitcoin <laughs> rabbit hole. Yeah. Um, like when you get into how central banks actually create money how they store it on their balance sheet and and you know distribute it out toward throughout the economy through like commercial banks for example um it really is just like it's a system of ious it's a debt-based economy and like when it comes to us as regular people holding a one dollar bill or in canada i guess a five dollar bill um you know like all that is is a piece of paper that says five dollars in this database belongs to you right and uh at any point like the, it's fully within the government's control that they can make it so that that iou is worthless just like 
if you know you wrote your friend and i like say your friend bought you lunch and you wrote a paper iou saying like yeah, I'll, I'll give you five dollars tomorrow yeah if that person doesn't actually want to give you that five dollars back then then you're not getting it back and if the government doesn't want to give you five dollars for the value for your your banknote then they don't have to because like there that's the other thing there is no five dollars worth of value backing it and that's kind of one of my bigger problems with government fiat money is that like back in the day you had say five dollars worth of gold in a bank vault for every five dollar bank note that existed and like that was cool because literally you could take the bank note and and get gold for it whereas now like there's what Canada has in their bank vault is a bunch of U.S. dollars, right? And what the U.S. has in their bank vault is, I think they've got some, you know, some gold and they've got some, uh, like, uh, other a mixed bag of assets, basically. Right. But like, like you still and, can't take that U.S. dollar bill because right. they're off the, the gold asset or the gold reserve now. Yeah. And so now it's just literally their, their trust and their word. It's yeah. so and interesting you say that because there's so many people who say that, oh, well, Bitcoin isn't backed by anything mm. and you have to trust the like the dollar that you have because it's backed by the government. Uh, but in, in reality, it's backed on by the government's word. It's, so it's still debt based. So what is your what, what do you tell people when they say, well, Bitcoin isn't backed by anything? So. Yeah, so, so quickly to elaborate on like what is backing like the U.S. dollar. So most government monies around the world are backed by U.S. dollars. Um, it's kind of like the U.S. dollar reserve. And then the U.S. dollar is backed by mostly paper assets like um, like IOUs from other governments, IOUs from from companies, shares in companies, things like that. Um, so like even the IOUs to the Federal Reserve or the U.S. government, those IOUs are back by more IOUs, right? Um, and yeah, you're, you're basically, yeah. So Bitcoin, <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's not, well, it is backed by something, it's backed by energy, right? Through the proof of work mining. So um, you can't like, you can't just forge a Bitcoin, you can't print them out of thin air, um, which is kind of ironic because Donald Trump tweeted that he doesn't like Bitcoin. Uh, because it's based on nothing but thin air, uh, <laughs> which is kind of hilarious because, you know, we've had, the, uh, it's not funny that we have this pandemic, but the economic response to the pandemic is to print a bunch of dollars out of thin air. Again, that, that, that T word, that uh, trillion dollar yeah. word there. Yeah, they're printing trillions of dollars this year because of, you know, and this won't be the last time this happens. No. And I mean, you know, people were calling, people were saying that, yeah, the, the U.S. government's going to have to start printing some money well before the pandemic hit, right? Like, yeah, the pandemic did a lot of economic damage, but like our economy, even though it looked good on, on the stock market and stuff, like there were a lot of problems that were kind of inevitable. Um, and the pandemic kind of sped it along, I guess, but it's, this isn't all because of the pandemic. Um, so when we're talking about backing, you, you said that, uh, well, it's backed by electricity and energy. And I, and I actually loved that you said that. I read this article by Dan Held at Kraken the other day, and he's talking about how that exactly that uh, you're like what Bitcoin is when you're holding a Bitcoin. It's someone took electricity and converted it into hard money. That's how Bitcoin comes into existence. And that's that's kind of a like a mind twister, if you will. Like it, it really warps your mind to think of it like that. But it is one of the the truest ways to think about what Bitcoin is backed by. 
Yeah, I'm wondering if you had a, an elaboration on that. Sure, yeah. So um, in case any, any listeners aren't aware exactly of how, how new Bitcoins get created, um, it's proof-of-work mining. Essentially, you're uh, like a miner's computer just keeps running and running and running, trying to solve math problems. Um, if they solve the math problem correctly, they are awarded with some new Bitcoins that get minted. Um, so it's, yeah, they get kind of minted like out of thin air, but they only get minted when you have actually, uh, you know, burn enough energy to uh, to solve these problems. You're right? converting, converting the energy into this Bitcoin. This just reminds me of uh, Newton's, one of Newton's laws, which is energy cannot be created. It can only be converted from one form to another. And that's essentially what happens with the proof of work consensus mechanism, where the proof that you have done work mints new Bitcoin. So it's converting work into Bitcoin. And energy is just, you know, it's work. That's what energy is. It's in like a physical sense. Yeah. And I mean, from like a conceptual standpoint, I agree with the conversion thing. I take a little bit of issue with it because like technically the electricity is getting converted into heat, which is, you know, radiating out. Um, Because like (laughs) there have been a lot of talks around the conversion thing like bitcoin as a battery and stuff like that and i've actually found that that does sometimes confuse newcomers because they're like well how is the energy stored in the bitcoin network (laughs) oh yeah it's not literally converted into bitcoin it's that you're you know taking your electricity you are uh, well running it through your computer circuit board and then as that's happening it's essentially burning off as as energy um first heat into the into the atmosphere basically right that's why like when when you run a bitcoin miner it heats up your house because it's converting that electricity into heat um excuse me but the 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 key thing to take away is that you can't create new bitcoins without burning a lot of electricity and like some people make environmental arguments against that but if you just look at it objectively um it's whether it's good or bad for the environment like that's irrelevant to the objective uh, point of view that um you know like you can't create bitcoins without a lot of energy and you can't create more bitcoins than what's governed by the protocol because if you start like say you fired up 10 times more computers tomorrow to start mining it the protocol knows how to detect that and it adjusts itself through the difficulty adjustment in order to limit how many new bitcoins can get created over time um and the the, the most common way that we uh dispel that critique is just by drawing reference or drawing attention to how much the the traditional monetary system, how much energy that takes. And then you put that in context with respect to, okay, national currencies are national currencies. And they each and every one of them have their own massive amount of electricity that it takes to run them, whereas Bitcoin is a global money. It actually has the potential to serve it, the needs of every country and every user everywhere, whereas these national currencies are restricted by borders. And and so, yeah, the environmental impact is real. However, you also, in the broader context, it's a, it's a small price to pay for a hard money, like a true and great hard money. Yeah. And I mean, if you think about things like, like Tesla with the electric cars and all of the, the movement towards green energy, you know, that never would have been possible without having money in the first place right mm-hmm. like money serves a really important part of society um i mean yeah we never would have probably gotten very far with fossil fuels to, if if we didn't have money either but like literally without money we'd be in the stone age basically right? yeah like so it's one of the earliest and most useful inventions yeah and like 
society as we have it today just could not exist without money. Um, it's, it really is like a cornerstone of, of our society. Um, so, you, you know, your options are basically have no money and go back to the Stone Age or have money and, and live in our society the way we live now. And then so, why wouldn't we create the best form of money? Exactly. Like, yeah. Isn't the environmental impact enough to like have the best form of money? If we can create it, why shouldn't we? Yeah, yeah. exactly. And like, you know, a lot of people argue, well, why don't we go back to the gold standard? Like gold has a lot of the same properties. It's hard to produce. It's, it's scarce. It's fungible, all of these things. Um, but like, if you look at the the environmental impact of gold mining as well, like, I mean, through history, it's been awful, you know, mercury and, and cyanide uh, pollution and stuff like that. Um, arsenic here in Nova Scotia. Um, but like, so for example, if you want to, we were talking about gold mining before, um, the, the average kind of grade for a gold mine to actually like, if you find gold, it's it's two or three grams per ton is what we call it. So it's for every ton of of ore or rock, waste rock, you end up with one or two grams of or sorry, two or three grams of gold. Okay, so like essentially, if you find a gold mine, um, like you find a gold deposit that you turn into a mine, you have to to break up and dig out one ton of rock to get two grams of gold out. That's like I don't know, hundred dollars or two hundred dollars of the gold you need to you go through a ton of rock you need to crush it up and hit it with chemicals and extract the gold and go through all that refine it down into a gold bar like it's a crazy amount of work and environmental impact just to use like produce gold and use that as money so like it's like i i would say if you did the calculations you would find that bitcoin's environmental impact is quite a bit less than gold or us dollar standard or any other money that you know, has ever been really useful to us on like a global scale. It's like, yeah, you can use stones or shells or beads locally, but I mean, throughout history, like any civilization that was using these types of things for money an outside force would come in and say, oh, like you, uh, you're using these shells for money. And then they'd say, oh, I know, I know an island that has a bunch of those shells and they'd <laughs> go out and bring them back in and inflate that currency or that money. So yeah, like when you think about kind of what works as well as a global money, you really end up with like the US dollar, gold and Bitcoin. And we know that there's problems with the US dollar. Gold is, you know, it's good, but it's not great. Like uh, it's hard to, like, how do you send $5 worth of gold or $5 million worth of gold from US to Asia? You know, how do you do that versus how do you send it in Bitcoin, right? It's a 10 minute transaction. I just had an idea of sorts, but also just this vision that what if one day we could lock up an actual bar of gold to buy Bitcoin with? So some part of Bitcoin would actually be backed by real gold. Um, yeah. Anyway, I just <laughs> wanted to throw that out there. <laughs> um, I'll actually respond to that because um, some of the people who are like kind of in between being a Bitcoiner and being a, a no-coiner, um, they make the argument that like, okay, well, having this like digital ledger that um, you can transfer value in 10 minutes, blah, blah, blah. Like they find value in that. They just don't think there's value in Bitcoin because it's not backed by anything tangible. So uh, like Peter Schiff, for example, is a, a gold investor. Um, he, I think, is involved with this gold money type thing. And I think it's essentially that. They take gold, they lock it in a vault, and then they issue tokens that can be transferred probably on a blockchain, I guess. Um, but the problem with that is you still end up with that gold centralized in a vault somewhere. Right. If the company or the government or whatever wants to, 
you know, stop you from accessing that gold, then it stopped. And I mean, that's kind of what got us to the problem with the US dollar in the first place. Like it used to be gold in vault, right? One to one backing. And then it, it went away. Well, the bill government. passed and then that was no longer the, what was backing me. You could no longer take yeah. that bill and get some gold in return. I actually remember listening to a podcast where um, someone was saying that, well, when we decided to get off of the gold standard, something that they used to instill trust among the people of a particular government to start printing faces of um, the, the president or prime minister, whatever country, uh, depending on the country you're from, on this note so that it still instills trust that, okay, this um, very, this person who is ruling your country, their face is on this banknote and you have to trust that it means something. And I don't recall whether or not they uh, said that you could see gold bars on the, the note before, but it was definitely a really excellent marketing play on shifting people's uh, trust from uh, knowing that their currency was gold-backed to not knowing that their currency wasn't gold-backed, but just seeing that, okay, my ex-president's photo is on this particular note. Of course, I'm going to trust it because I trust this precedent um, or whatever, or something on those lines. Anyway, um, a lot of this, a lot of really awesome opinions were discussed in the last five to ten minutes, and I, I kind of want to send an open question out to our listeners and viewers, that you might have a different opinion, and you might have an opinion in response to what was discussed. So, if you want to reach out to any of us, and and just ask a question against anything that was said. Uh, you can either email us at ready at, crypt- at com or Keegan's on Twitter at CryptoKeegan. Billy, what's your Twitter handle? Uh, Billy underscore BTC. There you go, Billy underscore BTC. And we'd love to have an open conversation about what was said because it's not necessary that you have to simply listen to the opinions discussed and um, well ponder them by yourself because we love open discussions. I'm Ragakshi Holloway, I think. On Twitter, or Rugakshi, I don't use I think it I'm much. <laughs> it's either Rugakshi or Rugakshi Palve, and my name's pretty unique, so you won't have a problem finding me. Okay, and then another thing that I also wanted to sort of insert in here is Billy, your background. Can you talk a little bit about it? Because I think it would be very interesting for our listeners and viewers to know that um, your your background is really in um, geology and environment science. Sure. So. First, I'll just respond to the last two things you said, um, the trust in the US dollar because of the face, even the trust with the gold. Um, that's what I love about Bitcoin is that you don't need to trust any of that, right? It's yeah. like you trust your computer and you trust that the code is doing what code is supposed to do. Um, so that's great. Code always does what it's supposed to do, by the way. It never does anything different. Exactly. Yeah. When Depending <laughs> on how it's programmed, I would just say like, there's been bugs before yeah. people... Including in Bitcoin. Like, Bitcoin is not something that you should put more money in than you can afford to lose. And people don't just say that to like, you know, kind of make it so they're not responsible for your losses. Like, myself personally, like I've looked into a lot of the kind of the development processes in Bitcoin. And like every year there are new vulnerabilities being found in Bitcoin. And like, for the most part, they don't really affect funds, but still like it's a, it's a young software. So you can't be confident, like, even though we're talking and it's kind of goes to what you said about like having different opinions than us, right? These are just opinions and and our views. Um, and like, obviously I've got a lot to say against like government backed monies. Um, but like Bitcoin's not perfect and 
they're, you know, it is far from certain that like Bitcoin will succeed as being a, a global money, right? It's, yeah, it's being used today as money and as, as a currency, but like there could be a bug disclosed tomorrow that, oops, broke the system. It's not likely, um, but, you know, it's, it's far from perfect. Uh, so anyway, I just wanted to get that, yeah, that out of the way. Thanks. Um, for my background, um, I went to university for geology, um, worked a few summers as a geologist, and then I did a, a one-year GIS program at college, uh, Geographic Information Systems. So it's like basically IT for anything that has like a spatial location type aspect. Um, and then I spent the last three years kind of doing um, GIS work, uh, which includes like some data analysis and a bit of programming, scripting, that kind of stuff. And this is kind of where my technical background comes from. Um, and yeah, doing that around like uh, environmental science, like atmospheric science, uh, measuring or, or manipulating scientific data and uh, data around like, so I've done uh, methane measurement research, forest research, and now my work as a geologist. So just recently I've gotten a job back as a geologist again. Um, and so it's basically... Um, making sure that the companies here that are doing um, geology exploration work uh, are, are following the rules and, um, you know, not making a mess of the forests while they're doing it, that kind of thing. So, yeah, a lot of, uh, like, some, some technical stuff with the programming, but a lot just to do with kind of, like, environmental stuff. Um, and then as, like, a, my personal interests, I spend a lot of time out in nature, hiking, camping, that kind of thing. Um, which interestingly enough, like I find, even though it's totally different from Bitcoin with the computers and everything, like there are a lot of similarities between the two. Um, it's, they're both very, very like organic and, um, it's so fascinating that you describe yeah. it that way. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, you go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Well, no, I just wanted to point to our um, viewers and what listeners that, you know what you're talking about when you talk about the environmental impact that Bitcoin mining causes. You're not someone who doesn't have a background in environment, environment science or even geology. Um, your opinions are based on education and knowledge and experience. And I just wanted to put that out there that you know what you're talking about because you have a background for it. Yeah, and this is something that uh, I see a lot of people talk about things like, oh, well, Bitcoin is, is good for the environment because it's used mostly with like renewable hydroelectric energy and it's, uh, it promotes new development of those green technologies or green energy sources. And like, it's not black and white at all. Yeah. Um, at the end of the day, it takes a huge amount of energy to run the Bitcoin network, huge amount. You've probably heard the stat that it's like as much energy as it takes to run Ireland and stuff like that. So it's a lot of energy. Um, and yeah, it's, it's true that a lot of that energy does come from renewable sources. And a lot of that comes from the fact that like that renewable energy is usually like the cheapest energy, right? So like it's not really feasible to, to burn coal, like to buy a bunch of coal, burn it, and then turn that into um, into Bitcoin. It's just you won't you'll, you'll spend more money trying to do that than you will earn in bitcoin whereas like with a hydroelectric dam um essentially they have surplus energy right the river's constantly flowing so like for example at nighttime when people aren't using electricity there's a bunch of energy sitting there not doing anything so anyway 
uh, a lot of Bitcoin mining uses that uh, surplus hydroelectric energy um, because it's, it's they can get it for very, very cheap. Uh, but still, there is a lot of mining that happens probably with fossil fuels, I would say. Um, and, but the other side of things to think about is like, even if it was all being done with hydro, uh, solar, wind energy, like all of those energy sources have their own environmental impact, right? Like with uh, wind turbines, it takes uh, rare earth element magnets to actually make the thing turn it from wind into electricity. Those things have their own impacts. It takes a huge amount of energy to get that those resources. Uh, solar has its own uh, problems. And like when I was doing the, uh, I think I mentioned I was doing methane research. One of the things I came across is that hydroelectric dams, which are probably the biggest source of, of energy for mining, uh, hydroelectric dams, like they themselves give off a lot of methane a lot of the time. And some studies actually found that like, depending on the site, some hydroelectric dams are actually worse for the environment than like oil mining or, or sorry, oil for energy or coal for energy. So like, uh, it's better, but it's, it's not that much better when you factor in all the concrete that goes into them. The fact that they alter the way that the water goes and release a bunch of methane as a result. And, um, met for anyone who doesn't know methane is like a really bad greenhouse gas. Uh, it's like CO2, but worse. Um, so like there are a lot of these hidden costs to these clean energy sources and the fact that Bitcoin uses so much energy, like you're not going to have no environmental impact. Like it's, it's big. Um, now, like we were saying earlier, Bitcoin is like a really, really good form of money, potentially the, like, the best form of money. So yeah, that environmental so impact fine. is probably, yeah, <laughs> that environmental impact is probably, probably worth it considering um especially if like if bitcoin works perfectly and we can get rid of the u.s dollar and fiat currencies and get rid of gold as money and all of these things um then yeah you would probably be doing very good things for the environment that way but like do you see that as a possibility though because <laughs> of i just i can't imagine um it's it's radical actually to imagine that the entire world operates solely off of the Bitcoin network transacting, maybe on the Lightning network, probably most definitely <laughs> on the layer two protocol, the Lightning network. But do you see that as something that will take place? I've got mixed views. Um, I think it's a lot more likely than most people think, especially people who are not into Bitcoin. Um, once you start digging into like how the money of the world works, it's, it's kind of fragile. And, um, you know, throughout the history of, of fiat currencies, like there's not very many survivors. Left, there's actually right? been zero survivors like in the past, like other than the ones that are around today, there's been no <laughs> reserve currencies or government backed currencies that have ever existed for more than a, a predetermined amount of time. Yeah. And, and yeah, nowadays, like, Gold is really the only thing that stood the test of time and has like this permeated history as being seen as money. Yeah. And gold is completely removed from, from governments other than the fact that, you know, they own the majority of it now. Yeah. So like, uh, back to the, like the Bitcoin standard question <laughs> yes. before I forget. Uh, it's just, like, I don't think it's likely. I think there's less than a 50% chance of it happening. Um, but I do think that, the U.S. dollar in our lifetime, we'll see the U.S. dollar stop being the global reserve currency. Um, I don't think it's it's built to last, and especially with the economic economic response to this pandemic, like 
I think that's kind of fast forwarding things. I think it'll happen a lot faster than kind of what we might have predicted. And then what's going to replace that? Some new government money back to a gold standard or maybe something that's built for like the digital age where, you know, you can send it anywhere instantly. I could see United Nations backed currency, like something built by the United Nations and proliferated all over the globe. Did you have something to add there? Yes. I'm grinning here because I have such a good question. Okay. Yeah, let's do it. What is your response to someone who will say the US dollar is too big to fail? Mm. Um, (laughs) No, it's not. (laughs) The dinosaurs were pretty big and they failed. Uh. All it takes is one big event to, you know, like, like I said, the dinosaurs, they they ruled the earth for millions of years. And then, you know, an asteroid hits earth and boom, they're done. And, you know, it's, yeah, the US dollar is big, but like, so was the, every other reserve currency before the US dollar, right? They were all big. They're all huge, right? Romans ruled the earth and, and history is full of these empires that have ruled the earth. And then gone into history right and i think the same is is almost inevitable to happen with the u.s dollars yeah to just to elaborate on that question a bit further i can see someone saying well it's too integrated into societies and well mostly economies around the world but to that i would almost insert and say well it's like a domino effect once it fails somewhere it's all going to come crashing down because it's a fragile system like you said earlier yeah and and the reason that governments fight so hard to keep the, that money system working is like, like I was saying, every other central bank has U.S. dollars in their bank account. So if the U.S. dollar fails, like all of the economies across the world fail. Um, so like there and, and there's a lot of people who are interested in keeping this thing working, including all of us, really. Yeah. Um, but still, I mean, it's it's. It's going to fail without the help of anyone as well, like. We don't, yeah. no matter how much effort we put into keeping it alive for longer and longer periods of time. Uh, I think like you said this earlier, it's just like, it's not predicated on good technology. It's not built for the digital age. It's not built to last long into the future. And yeah. for those reasons, it like, it doesn't matter how much work we put into keeping it alive, how much money we print to like, you know, reinflate the economy. It We're trending towards the failure of it. It's just, it's a, it's a when not if kind of scenario. Yeah. And like may the best money win, basically. Sure. Um, you know, throughout history, there's been shells have been used as money, beads have been used, stones have been used, paper has been used, rice, salt, uh, U.S. dollar, gold, silver. Um, you know, even silver was used as like an actual money for a long time, and that's not used anymore. And a lot of the reasons behind this are that like every one of them can just be easily inflated. It can be more and more of them created to essentially you know, drive up the, the supply of the money and that reduces the, the value of what people are actually holding in the money, right? Like that has happened so many times throughout history. And that's my biggest concern with the US dollar is that like they just keep printing more of it, you know, as they want, right? It's, it's pretty bad that like, like silver's failed as money because all of the miners could essentially make more of it, right? Um, that was like a global market effect. Whereas with the US dollar, it's like a small group of, of you know, what eight people in the states or something that controls what happens with the U.S. dollar, and they just keep printing more and more of it. So, like throughout history, it's been the, those monies that are hard to produce, hard to create more of that have succeeded. Every other thing has has failed, and it's very easy for them, as we see. Like 
they, I don't know exactly percentage wise, but like in response to this pandemic, they've upped the money supply by like, I don't know what it is, 25, 30% or something like whatever it is, it's a huge number um, for it to take place over the course of months. And for that reason, like, I think that that money is, is due to fail. Um, but will it be gold, you know, as a scarce asset that replaces it? Will it be Bitcoin as like the scarcest asset, like basically the only asset that is actually finite? Um, or will it be a United Nations back like clone of Bitcoin that they still control? And I don't know. I mean, people generally don't care enough about this censorship resistance, especially in the West, because it doesn't directly affect us every day. Um, so it's hard to know. Like, I think one of the biggest risks to Bitcoin is that people are just going to be apathetic and they're yeah. not going to care enough to actually make it work. I think that's actually one of the most accurate um I'm not sure what what word I'm trying to go for here, but uh, perspective. Yeah, and like you telling saying that's a, that's a risk of Bitcoin, the apathy of the general public to uh, to learn about it and to adopt it as um, the important thing that it is. Like that is actually that that's a true risk. That really is, yeah. and it's like it's okay. It's not the mining. It's in the expensive electricity that it takes. It's it's not like world governments colluding to take it down. It's actually just the apathy of the general public. Yeah, I think that's yeah, and and I think that's why it hasn't you know gained more adoption yet. And yeah, um, it's it's nice that like it is being used in parts of the world where it's needed. Like today, it's being used to avoid government censorship um, and government inflation. So like, it, it's kind of nice to see that as like maybe a foreshadowing for what is to come here because like there's there's it's it's one hundred percent certain that the coming years are going to be different for us than they have been economically speaking and monetarily speaking. Um, all of this money printing that's going on, you know, they're, they're, they're not going to be able to, to pay it back or to rein it in. Um, it's going to have not no effect. Yeah. And I think the effect's going to be big. Um, and whether that's over the next two years or 10 years or 50 years, I don't know, but you know, people are already like mainstream, regular, normal people are starting to question like the governance of the money systems and, um, things like the stimulus checks and the, the CERB check in Canada, like people are starting to wonder, like, where's all this free money coming from? And <laughs> especially when you look at like the conservative side of people, they're, they're already yelling at the government, stop printing so much money. Like, you know, there's no free lunch. We need to, to pay for this in taxes or inflation. Like those are basically the only two options, you know? So, uh, it's, it, I could see, you know, once I think our country will go through hyperinflation in our lifetimes. Like, I think it's probably going to happen. Um, and when it does, I, I hope that Bitcoin is in a state that it can actually be used for what it needs to be used at that scale. Like it's used in, in some places like Venezuela and Zimbabwe as a way around their economic problems. Um, but if the whole Western economy collapses or the whole global economy collapses and everyone needs to make a flight to Bitcoin, you know, uh, I'm hoping that they'll care enough to, to choose Bitcoin and not just choose whatever the government feeds to them or, you know, uh, yeah. So we'll see. It's far from certain. And, and yeah, the apathy side of things, it's, it's, it is a very real risk. And from my experience in Bitcoin, it's like one of the bigger risks for sure. Like I think that's more likely that Bitcoin will, fade away because of of apathy than like any technical issues well, I, th I think like the critical mass that it's reached right now uh like i don't think that'll go away like the people that are in it right now will sustain it at its current level 
like that I have a lot of confidence in. But in order to grow that to the size of a global uh, payment system, like, you know, the global reserve currency that, you know, many of the Bitcoiners want it to be, there's going to need to be people that know nothing about Bitcoin on mass entering the system at some point in the future, possibly and probably due to some sort of global trigger. And uh, yeah, whether or not that'll happen, that's that's a whole other. <laughs> you know, both of you seem to know exactly what you mean when, um, of course, you, you you seem to know when when you talk about apathy. But I have to say, I don't really quite understand uh, what you mean when you say that. If uh, like if something could make Bitcoin fail, it would be the apathy that people have towards money in general. Can you elaborate on that a little bit more? Yeah, so um, there's a couple sides of it, and one of it is is yeah, people just don't really think about money. They don't like they think about their balance in their bank account, but they don't think about the system that makes up the money. Right? They don't think about it. They don't care about it. They're too busy with their TikTok accounts or whatever they do nowadays. <laughs> um, and you know, like you just made yourself something like sixty five there. <laughs> um life is very busy especially like for for a lot of people that you know are in the west and living in cities and stuff like that life is super busy um everyone's got their own concerns trying to climb the corporate ladder trying to raise a family whatever it is they're trying to do write a new song write a new song right like all kinds of things everyone's so busy nowadays and then you throw all the the social media and technology distractions and there's just all of our attention and our energy is already accounted for, right? So no one, not many people really dive into like, what is money and what's backing this system? It's just, oh, I got to make more of it, right? And that's part of why like the governments can get away with printing more of it is because people just don't care enough to like learn what is what is this $2,000 a month I'm getting. Um, so yeah, people don't care about the money. And then the other side of it is like people... They don't really care. And when I say people, I just mean your average person in the West. Like they just don't care about about censorship, like payment censorship, uh, about inflation, because they're not seeing it in their day to day lives. Right. Um, One of the best analogies might just be global warming as well. Perfect. It's, yeah. uh, it's a slow drip. It's a slow drip. Right. It's that frog in the po boiling pot of water. And yeah. eventually that boiling water is going to kill the frog. But if you raise the temperature uh, all at once, the frog's going to jump out. Uh, but like with respect to apathy, uh, if it's not sitting right there in front of you, if you're not looking at a, a river flowing uh, with tons and tons of trash flowing through it, uh, environmentalism just straight up doesn't mean as much to you. It, it, you just can't see it in front of you. And for us in Canada, we have a great financial system, more or less. And uh, we're sheltered from a lot of the economic turmoil. But the people in Venezuela, we already see them adopting cryptocurrencies as a more stable form of money and like that's kind of what we're talking about with respect to apathy like they need to care now they don't have yeah. another choice and when they don't have any other choice it, that's actually almost too late yeah and, yeah so that's very well put like uh the analogy to global warming yeah, yeah that's perfect i've got a friend who's a journalist and uh we were hiking the other day and i was explaining that i was into bitcoin and stuff like going why sure <laughs> <laughs> he was like why and like i thought that was dead and blah 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 oh, the number of times bitcoin is pronounced dead and uh but the funny thing is I, I approached it from a few different angles explaining these different things to him 
And then I thought to myself, like, this guy's a journalist, <laughs> you know, he, he co covers like international news and stuff. And so I started talking about Zimbabwe and Venezuela and how like people today are using it to get around their problems with their government printing money and censoring transactions. And like that just made it click for him, right? As yeah. soon as I, I put it into terms that he was familiar with, especially the Venezuelan uh, crisis, yeah, he just like instantly was like, oh, oh yeah, okay, that makes sense, cool. <laughs> but like five minutes before that, I was trying to explain for me personally why I care. And he was just like, he just couldn't get through. So that's almost the entire intention of this this podcast or podcasting in general. It's like, okay, let's approach this topic from a hundred different angles. Nice. And you know, one of these angles is going to work for basically any person to dissolve that apathy, hopefully. Yeah, it's uh, that's a good approach. Like, because everyone is, is so different and cares about different things. And like, you know, when I say people don't care about payment censorship or or hyperinflation or you know these economic disasters that are going on, I don't mean that people just like are heartless and don't care. It's just that they they don't know about it. Like you say they don't see it happening. Um, it's kind of like uh, like animal rights issues, right? Like so many people know that they exist, but they don't see it every day. So it's like they they're not directly you, experiencing the pain. Yeah, and you can't care about everything. Like you can't be passionate about this, that, the other thing, right? So everyone kind of focuses on their own little area of where they care about. And for some people, it's you know the environmental stuff. For some people, it's human rights, animal rights, the economy, all of these different angles um but the good news is like for the most part there is an argument to be made for bitcoin for each of these different viewpoints yeah like there there is not a whole lot against bitcoin <laughs> there's like shallow criticisms that can be easily dispelled but for the most part like there's not that much valid criticism against and it. that's actually amazing because you can critique most things in this world today pretty validly from a number of different perspectives but yeah when i'm debating or arguing with people and they're throwing out various uh critiques of bitcoin it's like oh, i actually have a really good answer for, for all of these things <laughs> yeah i i'm just gonna put it out there it really depends on who you're debating with yeah. because we might find something valid because we're biased True. but someone <laughs> <We> who <are. laughs> has very different opinions and is possibly you know um, has a more conservative approach uh, it's very hard for that person to think of a faceless currency a person like a person mm. who's not centralized who you can't go to and talk about um, the happenings of this currency and if you can't point to a person and say, this is the person or group of people that invented this and go and talk to them, then it doesn't exist. It's basically like um, fake money that, and it just hyped and this hype is going to stop at some point, at some point this, it's still a bubble for them. And I'm actually very interested in talking to people like that because it's, it's such a different point of view. It's always really great to know what other people are thinking um and if they have an argument a, a valid argument for them it's just very interesting to know um how these critiques are valid against bitcoin from somebody who has a strong perspective against it because of different belief systems and this brings us to talk about well money is a belief system um we've all done our research and we all know that oh, if History is um, evidence, which it does serve as evidence. It justifies the fact that money is a belief system. And just in this past episode, we talked about how seashells was used as money at some point. Rhinestones was used as money. Salt is used as money. Gold was used as money. And now 
um, we are using IOUs as money. So there is no doubt that in the future, Bitcoin could be used as a form of money if everyone believes it to be money. And that was my little spiel. I liked it. Yeah, that was a good little spiel. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a very good point. It's like, especially like you said, like the social criticisms against Bitcoin are are huge, right? Like, yeah, we can talk about like the, its properties as a money or it's as a protocol, it's technicalities and how like it's, anyway, you can talk about how good all those sides are, but yeah, like the social side of things. And this kind of comes back to the apathy side of things as well. Like those social issues are some of the biggest hurdles for Bitcoin. Um, also trust, I would say, because I remember the episode that uh, we did with Nobert and when we were talking to your, your father and grandfather, for some people to conceptualize something that has value, they need to hold it physically <laughs> and they need to look at it. And that's what, that the trust of that particular factor is what um, instills confidence that this thing has value. And even though, um, you know, there's varied opinions on government money, these people have the same opinion of, okay, I can trust my government and I trust that they're going to, well, maybe not all of them are aware that we're in a debt-based economy, but um, it's tr being able to trust an intermediary that um, instills the confidence that something is going to take place. So we are for um, lack of intermediaries. We're for um, not having third parties facilitate transactions because we see the value and efficiency in that. But an older generation or more, or more conservative thinkers, they find that it is more um, um, practical or it's, it's more trustworthy for them to know that there is a disintermediary, sorry, there is an intermediary that makes a particular transaction happen. Yeah. yeah. I think there's you need a, to get some younger guests on your show. Yeah. Kids these days, everything, like, <laughs> you know, they've got their Venmo and PayPal's or whatever. Like, everything's digital or for Bitcoin. them. Or Bitcoin. Or Bitcoin. Yeah. So, like, a couple generations from now, right? Like, like Bitcoin's not in a hurry, but <laughs> it's going to come to a point where, <laughs> it's going to come to a point where, like, everyone, you know, left on Earth are people who grew up with digital. Like, even the, the central banks, you know, central bank digital currencies, like, they're all moving towards using these intangible assets. Right. So, yeah, I, I, I've got a lot of old school people in my family and I'm sure none of them will ever own Bitcoin because of the same things you're talking about. But when you think about like the younger generations, even yeah. younger than us, like 50 years from now, well, God knows what things are going to be like. But <laughs> even like 20, 10 years from now, whatever, like people are, are getting more and more used to this digital economy, even like m probably most of us just swipe our credit card and then pay the bill at the end of the Right? We're not actually handling anything physical either. Um, so I, I think it's a like a speed bump for sure. But I think that like we are in the digital age and we're kind of like, if you think about it in the grand scheme of things, like think back 15 years ago, um, things were very different. It was like 2005, right? Like people were just starting to figure out how the internet worked and, and stuff. So like, we're still early in the digital age yeah like, that generation has definitely gone through so much yeah. like our yeah. grandfathers have gone through some uh, the independence of, of particular countries like i'm 
yeah, my grandfather was born before India got, got its independence in 1947. And he has seen a lot. Oh, my gosh. The Industrial Revolution, like um, the commercialization of the Internet. And I'm sure a lot between then and then. I was born when the Internet was already commercialized. So I, everything that is pre-Internet for me. Um, so basically dinosaur times. <laughs> but since then also so I'm 25 yeah it's <laughs> so not quite 65 like me but. <laughs> <laughs> but just so much has happened for that generation and the same we when we are 65 70 80 well Bill you're already <laughs> <laughs> I'll be gone in the way of the US dollar by then yeah <laughs> for our listeners Billy's not actually 55 we're definitely joking about his age how do you want to 30 30 okay so when 60 years from now we're going to go through so much and looking back we're gonna see uh, we're gonna be able to connect the dots and see okay that all of that made sense what we were doing then paved the way for where we are today and when we're 16 no idea what sort of new technology is going to be instilled in our grandchildren like maybe they're brains will have a minor inserted in them for some, <laughs> some intense other new currency a, of sorts a full node just behind your a, ear or something like yeah, that. yeah your your lifetime is is that scarcity basically this is just radical ideas love it one of the ideas i really love exploring is like uh, my when my grandmother tries to type on the computer or my grandfather for that matter they're typing with uh, with both index fingers or both pointers right and yeah. like one at a time and, and that's it and like what is the technology when we're 90 that's oh. gonna boggle our minds <laughs> the way that keyboards boggle our, our grandparents minds and I, I love that thought experiment I, like, I love hearing what answers people come up with yeah okay well let's conclude part one of this episode we've talked <laughs> about so many very fascinating things to just a quick summary, um, Billy, your crypto story, how you came across Bitcoin. We talked about, um, we elaborated a little bit more on why um, stocks are not as effective <laughs> as they could have been or used to be. That was gentler than I remember <laughs> Billy putting it. <laughs> well, Billy did say that that might have been a little bit harsh. So I'm just putting a gentle touch on it. But we also talked in depth about Bitcoin mining and the impacts that it has on the environment and Billy, your background as a geologist and someone with an environment science, uh, know-how background experience, just talking very reasonably and practically about the impacts of Bitcoin mining. We talked about the US dollar being a reserve currency, the history of money um, a bit as well. We talked about inflation, uh, Bitcoin potentially being a, a world currency, just envisioning and imagining that radical idea and we also talked at length about different opinions and the validity of um, bitcoin being a true or the truest form of money that has ever existed in our opinion so <laughs> um, again for all of our watchers and listeners bring up anything that you uh, want to um, explore a little bit more about or if you have an opinion that is against what we have discussed today you can find Billy on Twitter at Billy underscore BTC. And that's B-I-L-L-Y, correct? Yep. Okay, B-I-L-L-Y underscore BTC. Keegan's Crypto Keegan. And that's C-R-Y-P-T-O-K-E-E-G-A-N. That's good. And yep. I think I'm Rick Akshipawe. Not, <laughs> not like fundamentally on a philosophical, <laughs> le philosophical level, but on Twitter. I, I think I'm Rick Akshipawe. It's either Rick Akshipawe or Rick Akshipawe. Um, And just bring, tag us, bring, bring us up. Um, on your, your social media channels and just ask us questions because this is what we're here for. 
and stay tuned for part two of this episode where we will dive much deeper into lightning network <laughs> awesome and thank you billy thank thanks you. everyone looking forward to it stay tuned <laughs>